On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the offseason that was. Plus, we look ahead to the Terps in 2020, a team that includes the best recruiting class in program history. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Zach Solon. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, everyone. It's episode 71 of our podcast. I am Zach Solon. I'll be taking over the Maryland Baseball Network podcast hosting duties this season. And joining me is uh, my new co-host, Ben Curtis. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to talk some Maryland baseball. Yeah, we're here approaching the end of January, which means it's almost time for baseball season. The Terps will start their 2020 campaign down in South Carolina, taking on Charleston Southern on Valentine's Day, February 14th. But, Ben, it's been a long offseason, been a long break from the podcast, but we have a lot to recap. But first, I want to ask, you saw a lot of things from the Terps last year, a team that went 29-29, and a big improvement from the year before. What was the biggest thing that surprised you from that team? I think the consistency. There were a lot of players who started to get that hitting up into the mid to upper 200 range, that 270, 280 range. I think we saw a huge leap from Randy Bednar. He's going to have to be one of the big catalysts this season. And pitchers were pretty consistent as well. So I think consistency was the main uh, focus throughout 2019. So, Ben, where you and I are going to start today is kind of recapping the end of the 2019 season. Like we said already, they went 29-29. and 29. They finished 12-12 and 12 in Big Ten play. It all came down to the last weekend of the regular season for the Terps. And if you recall, a thunderous series against Iowa at the Bob. A.J. Lee with a walk-off to take Game 1. They took Game 2. And then on Game 3, they pretty much needed a win to get a seed in the Big Ten tournament. And they got that win. They were the sixth seed. And then they went into Omaha for the Big Ten tournament. They got a win over Illinois in game one in a game that was brilliantly pitched by Hunter Parsons had some big offense from Maxwell Costas and Justin Vogt they won that game six to two but then you went into the next game of the Big Ten tournament against Ohio State who as we all know was the eventual Big Ten tournament champion and they lost that game three to two the game actually took pretty much two days the first game suffering through a lot of rain delays the first day excuse me through the first about seven innings then it was suspended picked up the next morning Terps couldn't get the win they fell short three to two so that meant that Saturday Saturday, May 25th in Omaha, they had to go to take on Michigan, who was the eventual runner-up in the College World Series, and they lost that game 10-4 to to send them home, and been the end of the Terps season. It was their first year back in the Big Ten tournament since 2017. Rob Vaughn's first as a head coach. What do you think the team has to play for this year after being eliminated in just three games in the Big Ten tournament? You're returning a lot of guys, only lost four guys. Granted, they were all big pieces, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but how do you expect this team to right off the bat sort of turn it around from the end of last season? Well, I think you can look at the two teams that they lost to in the Big Ten tournament that eventually eliminated them. We now, of course, know how good that Michigan team really was. They looked like they were struggling in the Big Ten tournament, got eliminated fairly quickly to, for the number two seed, but of course went on to become the national runners-up. So they really proved that they can be one of the best teams in the country, and they were one of the best teams in the country last year. That big super regional win over UCLA, I believe it was. They were one of the premier teams in the country. We just didn't really know it at the time. And then that Ohio State team that got hot at the right time, and sometimes that's just all you can do to win baseball tournaments or really in any sport is if you're hot at the right time in the postseason, you're going to have a lot of success. So if you're Maryland, you look, you picked up that big win over Illinois, and then you lost to the two teams that happened to be playing their best ball at the time, but there's a lot of optimism going forward, I think. Exactly. That's that's a great way to put it. The one thing that surprised me most about the Terps team last year was that they kept fighting. They were never really out of a game, it seemed like. Even at the end against Michigan, it was A.J. Lee, who in his last collegiate at bat 
hit a home run over the left field fence at TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha, which is we all know is the mecca of college baseball, and it just seemed very uh, nice for the Terps that they had their season end that way. Obviously, they would have liked to go further, but a nice touching way to show that they never really quit. They were in it till the end of every single game, and I think based on what I've seen from this team, they're going to look to fight that way this year, you know, not have to wait till the last day of the regular season to find out if they're in the Big Ten tournament and try and get their way back to the NCAA tournament. And if you want to talk about not quitting when things maybe aren't going so well, look back at that first game of the Iowa series. Not only did they have that walk-off uh, home run by A.J. Lee to win it, but they only needed to do that because they gave up four runs in the top of the ninth to draw Iowa and Maryland even at six. All the momentum was with the Hawkeyes. Maryland sitting back thinking that w they needed a great series to go to the Big Ten tournament. Then for the Terps still to be able to come back in the bottom of the ninth and end up winning, it kind of showed the character of the team at that moment. You're exactly right. So that was the end of the 2019 season. The Terps were done playing their games after that. Like we said, one more time, they finished at 29-29, and 29, which was an improvement for Rob Vaughn in his second season as head coach with his current staff. And then we went into the offseason. The Terps lost four guys, three starters, and their closer. They lost Hunter Parsons, who was their Friday night ace, A.J. Lee, their starting shortstop, Taylor Wright, their starting third baseman, and John Murphy, their closer. And Ben Lee and Parsons both drafted Lee now in the Astros organization, Parsons with the Mets, and then Wright and Murphy going on with their careers respectively after graduating. And when you look at this Terps team now, they have a lot of holes to fill. And how do you think they're going to look upon doing that based on the current talent on the team and also based on the recruiting class that they're bringing in? Well, I think there's a lot of versatility and the new team, especially in the infield. Losing the entire left side of the infield is tough. Not only that, but A.J. Lee and Taylor Wright were the team's two top hitters in terms of batting average. And then on the other side with the pitching, replacing your closer is never easy. Replacing your ace is never easy. But I think Rob Vaughn is going to look to try to be creative with his infielders, move a lot of different guys around, especially early on in the season, to give a lot of guys some different looks. We've mentioned how good the freshman class is, how good the recruiting class is. So I wouldn't be all that surprised if Rob Vaughn gave some of those young players an opportunity to try to fill the holes that Lee and Wright have left in the left side of the infield. So after the Terps saw who would be departing after the 2019 season, we went into the summer. And the summer of 2019, a lot of the Terps' brightest stars continued to shine. And we're just going to recap for you right now a couple of the Terps' best players and their performances over the summer. Number one, as was mentioned by Paige Leckie on MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, had to have been Maxwell Costas. Now, Ben, we know he was the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year. He had an excellent season last year, led the team in home runs. And to get that from a freshman, obviously his brother played at Maryland, now has some minor league experience as well but how important was that for Maxwell to have such a big impact on the 2019 squad that he can now use as a leader going forward oh, absolutely it's huge and losing Lee and losing right you're looking for some power in 2020 and you're looking for somebody that you can count on right in the heart of the lineup to get a big hit when you needed it and I wasn't all that surprised to see that Costas had a big summer because he had a big big 10 tournament he went six for 12 with five RBIs in three games so he really just continued that momentum into the summer Absolutely. I had the chance to have lunch with Maxwell a few weeks ago, and he just talked about how excited he was for this season. I asked him about his summer and how he felt up there in the perfect game collegiate baseball league with the Amsterdam Mohawks. And he just said he likes to have fun, likes to play baseball as much as he can. And uh, he had quite the season. He um, won the league player of the year and he was given first team honors. He had a 374 average, 36 RBIs and had a league record breaking 12 home runs. 
And that's the kind of offense and explosiveness that the Terps look for with Maxwell Costas. Now, he played first base last year for the Terps. Now, when he came into Maryland, he was a third baseman. He played a little bit of outfield. He didn't know exactly where he was going to fit into the lineup. He started the year as a DH because of his bat, but then when the Terps kind of wanted to use Michael Pinero at that DH spot a little bit, Maxwell Costas had to get the reps at first base. But this year, with the Terps having that spot open at third base, Maxwell looks like he's going to get the chance to go back to the hot corner and get some reps there, as we saw in the fall. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Maxwell, going to try out some new stuff this year, but looking to keep that bat just as hot. Absolutely, and that's what that versatility really comes into play, knowing that you can play either corner and field spot. You can be a DH if necessary. That's a really big weapon for Rob Vaughn. Yes, it's nice to be able to say, A.J. Lee's going to be my shortstop every day, but it's even better to have a guy who can play two or three positions and where you can feel comfortable putting him in the lineup card there. And then you look further down at the Terps roster, and you don't have to look much further down when you're looking at consistent players. With a 288 average last year, Randy Bednar really solidified himself in his sophomore season as having one of the best years you can have to bounce back as a Terp. He became a leader on the team, started every single game in the outfield for them, was the consistent two-hitter in that lineup. And if he can continue that, the Terps are going to be looking really, really good, especially at the top of the lineup this year with Bednar, Costas, and you could see Ben Cowles up there, also Troy Shreff an incoming freshman, but Bednar this summer really did well up in the New England Collegiate Baseball League with the Keen Swamp Bats. He batted 337, nine home runs, and 15 doubles, and was selected to first team all league as an outfielder. And Bednar is going to be a really, really crucial piece to the team this year. Think about it. He had a pretty slow freshman year. He did break out towards the end of it, but then last year, such an excellent season, second team all Big Ten selection. How much more can this kid improve this year? Well, I think a little bit with the bat, especially with power, he had 12 home runs last year, and you kind of saw it break out towards the end of the season last year. But the one thing I was so impressed with about Randy Bednar was his ability out in the outfield, 992 fielding percentage. He made one error last season. He started all 58 games, made one error. So that batting average at 288, I think, will go a tick higher this year. I think the 12 home runs might go a tick higher, but where Rob Vaughn really needs Randy Bednar is with the glove. He's probably now with the departures of Lee and Wright, the Terps' best two-way player, offense and defense. I have to agree with you there, and, and he's going to be such a vital part of this team, as are a lot of the returning starters. Um, someone who had a pretty quiet summer up in the Cape Cod League is Justin Vote, but he still had a very good year last year. Didn't have it all there with the bat, uh, batted around the 220 range for the season, but did have some clutch home runs. I mentioned one in that Big Ten tournament game over Illinois, and he pretty much started every single game, played every single inning behind the dish for the Terps last year. And when you have a guy like that as your backstop, he was a captain of the team as a sophomore he's really going to be an important factor when you're making your offseason decisions deciding your new recruiting classes what pitchers are going to come in and the Terps having a guy to rely in in vote is really going to be big for them in Big Ten play and really just around the league yeah, I think that one of the biggest things that vote is going to be able to provide is that leadership behind the plate working with new pitchers you mentioned it's so important for a catcher to develop to, to develop a good rapport with a new pitching staff and the consistency behind the plate is really all you need yes you'd love for your catcher to provide some offense. It was a lot of ups and downs, a really roller coaster season for him at the plate last year. But behind the plate, he was as consistent as you could possibly ask for for a catcher. And if Rob Vaughn can get that once again, the bat will come or it won't come. But that consistency behind the plate is really the most crucial part that Justin Vogt brings to the team in 2020. 
And then as we transition from behind the plate to on the mound, we're going to look at the Terps' bullpen a little bit before we get to uh, what the starters did this summer. So out of the bullpen, you had now, who is a senior, the Fuzz, Elliot Zollner. He was with the Bethesda Big Train down here in Maryland, and 11 relief appearances had a 120 ERA, and the Big Train won their fourth consecutive league championship. And when you think of Elliot Zollner, you think he had a pretty up-and-down season last year, had his moments, but... The way he pitched against Michigan in that final game of the Big Ten tournament, putting three scoreless innings up against the team that was the eventual national runner-up, he really showed spots that he could be a leader on this team, which the Terps are going to need him to be this year in, in a pretty stacked bullpen. Absolutely, and I think if you go a little bit deeper into Zollner's stats last year, you'll find that he had a bit more success than maybe is on the surface. Yes, you look at the 7.40 ERA, obviously not what you want from a bullpen guy. He had some trouble with his control, 19 walks in just over 20 innings pitched, but batters only at 156 against him last year. So if he can keep the ball in the strike zone, maybe settle down a little bit, find his rhythm, he's going to have a lot of success coming out of the bullpen in 2020. That's a great point, and then also... Up in the Cape Cod Baseball League, we had Sean Fisher, who was actually a teammate of Justin Vote for the Brewster Whitecaps. Fisher had a 2.84 ERA in 12 appearances and only allowed 22 hits in 25 and a third innings. Also struck out 15, and that's a good thing for Sean Fisher, who had also a decent season last year. The Terps bullpen pretty much struggled throughout. But if Fisher can be a big factor, maybe in the later innings as a setup man or maybe even a potential closer, he could really be big for the Terps. He was also named the Whitecaps Reliever of the Year, and that's a good thing to see from a guy entering his now junior season. Oh, absolutely, and you love to see players having a great summer because that does transition into the fall and eventually into the spring. I also see Sean Fisher as a workhorse guy who can really eat up innings in the bullpen when necessary. Uh, when you think about the course of an entire series or over the course of a week for Maryland, sometimes if one game isn't going necessarily the way that Rob Vaughn would envision it. I think Sean Fisher's a guy who can eat up a lot of really important innings for Maryland. He had the third most innings pitched coming out of the bullpen last season. So I think he's going to be able to step up into that role as well as into those high-pressure situations later on in games. So that'll recap the Terps' summer. Of course, a lot of other players playing around the league all had solid chances to get some reps over the course of the summer. And then they came back to campus in the fall and pretty much right off the bat got right to work practicing, getting in the weight room, and then finally getting out on the field. Now, because of the weather this year, they had some struggles putting together a fall schedule, getting that fall World Series played. They did eventually play two fall World Series games. It was Team Swope against Team Papio. They had a lot of fun. Of course, those games just depend on bragging rights, but they did also get to play under the fairly new NCAA rules, two fall competition games, which were both doubleheaders, one on the road and one at home. So back in uh, October, late October, early November, they went up to Army West Point to take on the Black Knights, and that was a pretty rainy uh, and muddy conditions there for the Terps. They did get some reps, and when I spoke to Rob Vaughn afterward, he said it's great for the guys to get up there. He wants them to see the tradition and history that goes around Army West Point, so he said he would have liked the weather to be better, but of course, baseball, you play it outside, you're going to see some tough conditions, so he's glad his guys got the reps there. The results, obviously, not too important for those games in the fall. They do not count, but just the chance for all the freshmen to see some collegiate pitching before the spring season begins, and the chance for the players to get some teamwork playing together. Uh, up there, uh, two-game doubleheader at Army West Point. Then the following week, they came back home and they played the Red Storm of St. John's, Corey Muscara's former t uh, team that he coached with. They played two games against St. John's, which were broadcast right here on the Maryland Baseball Network, and we got to see what the Terps' offense was going to look like this year, as well as what pitchers were going to start and what pitchers we were going to see 
out of the bullpen. So we saw Nick Dean start one of those games, and then Sam Bellow, Sean Burke, and Sean Fisher all in relief. And then in the other game, Zach Thompson, who was the Terps Saturday guy pretty much for all of last season, got the start in that one. And then out of the bullpen, we also saw Ryan Ramsey, Trevor Labonte, who was a starter for a lot of last season before transitioning back to the pen at the end of it. Sean Hine returns for the Terps, Elliot Zollner, and another big acquisition in David Falco. So then as the fall season wrapped up, the Terps continued to uh, work on their teamwork, their team building skills, and going back into the weight room. But the snow covering the field, very, very cold conditions in December, not really ideal baseball weather. So we went further into the offseason. But before we got there, I do want to do a quick pro Terps update. Brandon Lau played in the postseason for the Tampa Bay Rays and then was a finalist for the American League Rookie of the Year. And that shit goes to show, Ben, exactly you know the kind of program that is building here at Maryland and what their players who were on those successful super regional teams of 2014 and 2015 have gone on to do in the MLB. And even some more players like Mike Shawarin are continuing to excel in the minor leagues and even some major league action this year. And how the future is bright for anyone on this Terps team, anyone coming in, and, and that the sky is the limit for anyone right now. Absolutely. And the fact that Lau had so much success with Tampa Bay this year still helps Rob Vaughn when he's going out to try to recruit ball players saying, hey, not only will you have success at Maryland, but we're going to get you prepared to have success at the next level. It's really helpful to be able to turn to specific players and say, this guy came to Maryland, this guy came to Maryland, this guy came to College Park. And if you follow the steps that they took, you could get there as well. So the fact that Lau had a lot of success still will have reverberations around College Park. So then we started up again this spring, and that brings us to where we are now. After a couple of bits of off-season news, Ben, we'll go through those right now. First, the big one was that the Terps recruiting class this year, the freshman class, which is pretty big, and we'll get to them in our season preview podcast, which will be coming out a couple of days before first pitch, is the depth of this class and the talent that Corey Muscara, Matt Swope, Anthony Papio, and Rob Vaughn have brought in was good enough that by D1 Baseball, who we know ranks the uh, collegiate baseball NCAA Division I top 25 and also decides the recruiting class ranking, said that Maryland's recruiting class was not only the best in the Big Ten Conference, but also number one, or number seven, excuse me, in the country. This is the highest that any Terps recruiting class has been ranked in the history of the time they've been doing these rankings. And like we said, Ben, that just goes to show the future is looking really, really good for the Terps, and they could really do some damage this year if the freshmen step up. Absolutely, and this isn't going to be a one-time thing. This is part of a process of recruiting that Rob Vaughn is really instituting in College Park to have big-time freshmen come to Maryland and put Maryland on the national radar in a way that they haven't been in a couple of years, not since those super regional days of the mid-2010s. This is a new wave of Maryland baseball, I think, in this fr freshman recruiting class really going to be a big part. And then the other big bit of news that uh, came out across all of Maryland athletics was the facilities improvement updates, which uh, we are going to get over the next couple of years, probably long after anyone on this Terps team is gone. But this fundraising campaign launched by Maryland Athletics called the Building Champions Campaign sees basically new improvements to every athletic facility for every team here at UMD. And the one for the baseball team is very, very interesting. It is the Stanley Bob Baseball Player Development Center. And what I found very interesting about this is that by the artist renderings, it looks like it's going to replace the shell, which is the current area out in left field, where it's essentially a batting cage for the Terps. They do some light workouts in there, but lately for the indoor workouts, Maryland has been having to use the football field at Cole Fieldhouse. But this will kind of designate their own area to have that. And I'm just going to read the press release 
from their website right now that says why they were looking to improve baseball performance, specifically at the University of Maryland. It says, in the last 10 years, Maryland baseball has advanced to two NCAA Super Regionals, three NCAA tournaments, and five conference tournaments. During that time, the program has garnered 11 All-Americans, 26 all-conference nominations, and 38 MLB draft picks. Brandon Lau, one of Maryland's most notable standouts and a 2015 MLB draft pick, was recently named a finalist for the American League Rookie of the Year Award. To elevate Maryland baseball on the national landscape, an indoor hitting and pitching facility is a necessity. This state-of-the-art facility will allow baseball student-athletes the opportunity to train year-round in a controlled environment, allowing them to hone their skills no matter the conditions. And the facility will include an eight an 8,500-square-foot indoor single-level building for player development. It will have defined spaces for both pitchers and hitters in a climate-controlled environment and have state-of-the-art pitching and hitting technology for increased analytics. And, Ben, we know in this game analytics are so important. And also just the year-round aspect of having your players continue to stay in shape. We see it in them playing summer ball, getting those competition games in in the fall. This is showing that Maryland is really committed to making sure that their baseball team is, of course, focused on being students first, but then also being the best athletes that they can be, having the opportunity to excel and having those resources available to them. I think that that idea that you need year-round ability to train is a big one, something that kind of gets overlooked when you think about teams like Maryland and Virginia. If you wonder why you keep looking at the best teams in college baseball, and more often than not, they're coming from the SEC. They're coming from the ACC, especially the southern part of the ACC. They're coming from the Pac-12, like in UCLA and Oregon State. It's because they have the ability to play year-round, because it doesn't get cold enough in the winter to kind of shove away some baseball practice. But to be able to have this new place where you can play year-round is going to be really, really important. And if you want to keep recruiting, there is nothing better than to be able to point to plans in place to get a new state-of-the-art facility like this one. That's exactly right. And I look forward to seeing the construction of this facility over the years and just how much this baseball program can build with it. You can find more information on that online. But then as we got closer to the schedule, now here into the spring semester, just a couple of weeks away, uh, away from the first pitch of the season, we finally got a schedule. And uh, the Terps are going to play about 56 games this year, as they have in pretty much every previous year. And they're hoping to extend upon that by the end of the season by reaching the postseason again. Some interesting non-conference matchups in here. And we're going to go through the schedule now. We will do a deeper dive into it later, uh, closer to the first pitch of the season on a future podcast. But this podcast, we really wanted to recap the off-season news. But the schedule coming out was a big part of that, so we're going to go through that right now. And before we get to it, Ben, going back to the 2019 schedule, you look at non-conference games. The Terps had some pretty big challenges, notably in back-to-back -back weeks, where they took on Creighton and East Carolina. East Carolina came in to College Park, and they were an eventual super regional team, and they swept the Terps. And then the following weekend, after spring break, Creighton came in. The series was really supposed to be at TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha, but snow conditions there had the Blue Jays come to town, and they also swept the Terps. And that kind of put the Terps with their backs to the wall with their NCAA tournament hopes pretty much right at the end of March. But then they tried to turn around in Big Ten play, and like we said, they did squeak out the Big Ten tournament berth as the sixth seed. But when you look at this schedule this year, what do you see as the most important thing? The non-conference games or more so the big 10 games that'll happen later in the year. I'm looking at one really specific series that I think is going to have a massive impact 
on this season. It's April the 3rd through April the 5th. It'll be here in College Park against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Now, this is really getting into the meat of the Big Ten schedule, and this is a Nebraska team that took a massive leap from 2018 to 2019. They had a seven-win difference between 2019 and the year before in 2018 when they really struggled. So this is going to be a team, once again, that's towards the upper reaches of the Big Ten. It'll be a home series. Maryland really struggled at home last season. That was one of the biggest problems for them, especially in Big Ten play. So right in April, in the middle of the Big Ten season, against a team with a lot of momentum coming in year over year, I think is going to be perhaps the biggest series of the season. And of course, we'll have it for you here on the Maryland Baseball Network. That's a good plug. So then We've been trying to keep this podcast pretty structured through what's happened since last May when the Terps were eliminated from the Big Ten tournament and then every step along the way through the offseason. So then the schedule came out. Now we're going to try and take you the best we can through the schedule in order. So the Terps will start on February 14th down at Charleston Southern for a matchup there. Now this was supposed to be a three-game series against the College of Charleston, but some schedule changes now have this a three-game series. All games going to be played in the state of South Carolina, but against three different schools. It's not a tournament, more so of a round robin for the Terps. Going to see three different opponents in each of their first three days of the season. So on Friday, February 14th, they will play Charleston Southern. The next day they will play the Iona Gales, and then they will play College of Charleston to wrap up that weekend on Sunday, February 16th. Then they'll have a full week off, and then they'll come back home. The home opener for the Terps at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium will be on February 21st, a Friday at 4 p.m., to kick off a weekend series against the Rhode Island Rams. And then they'll have their first midweek game after that against George Mason, also at the Bob. Then they go on the road, and for the third consecutive season, they're going to play the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina, this time in a three-game series at the home of the 2016 National Champions. And this is going to be the first big test for the Terps, Ben. And do you think the Terps are going to need to steal some road wins here if they want to help their NCAA tournament chances? I think they need at least one win out of that series in Conway, South Carolina, to really put on their resume that they can compete with the upper echelon of NCAA baseball. I love the tough scheduling, though from Rob Vaughn, especially early on in the season. Get your team tested against a lot of different opponents and some opponents with some real quality as well. So then the season continues on. They'll come back home for a midweek game against Delaware. The Terps have played Delaware over the past couple of years. And then they will welcome the Bryant Bulldogs for another non-conference weekend series. That's the weekend of March 6th through the 8th. And we've seen the Terps. They played Bryant Two years ago at the Bob, and the Terps took that series two games to one, and they're going to come back here. Bryant, a 40-win team last year, but did not make the NCAA tournament. So that's another interesting thing to see. How can the Terps compete with a school from a smaller conference but still looking for the same retribution against these big teams? Absolutely, and I think that these smaller teams that don't necessarily get a lot of national attention, maybe they got upset in their conference tournament and you didn't get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. These under-the-radar teams that you don't necessarily look at and have them pop off the schedule, but they're still really good resume builders. They're that foundation of the resume when you're looking at what the NCAA tournament is looking for. They're not just looking for the win over the number two team in the country. They're looking for consistent quality wins, and that three-game series against Bryant presents a real opportunity, especially at home. I absolutely agree with you. And then a midweek game against James Madison leads us into the spring break road trip. Last year, the Terps went to a two-game series at Elon University, and then, like I said, the three-game homestand against Creighton, which was supposed to actually be a road trip. But this year, starting on March 13th, they'll kick off a weekend series against another NCAA tournament team from last year. The Horn Frogs of TCU down in Fort Worth, Texas should be a fun trip for the Terps and probably their biggest test of the season in non-conference play. Absolutely. And this is another 
one of these really tough scheduling decisions that Rob Vaughn had to make going on the road to really one of the blue buds in college baseball over the past decade. TCU has a program that is established success over a long period of time. They know what the program is all about, and Maryland's going to have to go to Fort Worth for that three-game set, but really kind of checking in a month into the season. That's going to be a really good checkpoint for the Terps to see where exactly they are. So this is a road trip for the Terps, so they'll continue it on a midweek game against Sam Houston State down in Huntsville, Texas, and they'll wrap that up. And then on the back end of spring break, they come back home to the Bob and they kick off Big Ten play against the team that missed the Big Ten tournament last year in Michigan State. And then a midweek game on the road against Delaware leads them into a, another road series, this time in the Big Ten, against Rutgers. The Terps did not play Michigan State or Rutgers last year, and the Scarlet Knights Always a bit of a rivalry with the Terps, both teams joining the Big Ten in 2014, so should be an interesting series there. And then a midweek game against VCU. We're used to seeing those teams play over the past couple of years. And then, Ben, we come back home to start off April against Nebraska, a team that Maryland did not play last year, and a team that you said is, is very interesting to you. Absolutely. I mentioned the seven-game win jump, especially the seven-game win jump just in Big Ten play from 2018 to 2019. So it's a team with a lot of momentum. You mentioned it's not necessarily Maryland's most familiar opponent, but as we really start to get into the meat of Big Ten play, they'll have already played Michigan State, they'll have already played Rutgers, and they really struggled at home last season, especially in Big Ten play. They were 11-15 and 15 at home in 2019. If you're going to make the NCAA tournament in 2020, you simply can't go sub-500 at home unless you're playing teams in the top 10 consistently, which Maryland isn't really doing at home over the course of the entire season. Of course, we'll see how the Big Ten teams really fare, but with the schedule that you have, you have to go at least 500 at home, and that's a really big test for Maryland with Nebraska in early April. And then April 7th, they'll have a road game at West Virginia, wrapping up a home-and-home -home series. The Mountaineers came to the Bob for a midweek game last year and got the victory. They were an NCAA tournament team as well. And then on April 9th, which is a Thursday, we have a Thursday-Friday-Saturday weekend series, which is very interesting. It's against a non-conference opponent in Binghamton. And when you look at this, Ben, last year the Terps, once Big Ten play started, every weekend was a different Big Ten opponent. Now you get this break against Binghamton, who's a pretty solid opponent, but you don't really have to worry too much about the conference standings during this weekend. I think this could be a really big opportunity for the Terps this weekend to experiment with maybe some new starting pitchers on the mound, some new relievers coming in different situations, and also maybe a different bit of a lineup change through the 11th and could be pretty interesting. Yeah, there'll be a 12-day break in that point in time between Big Ten games. So as you mentioned, a lot of different opportunities for Rob Vaughn to mix and match. You also have to wonder who's going to be healthy at that point in time, who's going to maybe need a rest just a week or so off to regroup and recuperate. That's going to be a really good opportunity with this new freshman class that we have coming in. It'll be a great chance for Rob Vaughn to mix in a lot of those players, see what they have at the level of speed of baseball at the college level and not be impacted in the Big Ten standings. And then a pair of midweek games at the Bob on April 14th and 15th against Mount St. Mary's and William & Mary leads the Terps into their next Big Ten road trip. And that will be to Iowa City when they take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. And Ben, that was the series of the year last year when the Hawkeyes came to the Bob. So should expect some exciting things. Mid-April series out in Iowa could be a time for the Terps to seal some road wins. Absolutely. And you have to imagine that Iowa hasn't forgotten what went down in College Park last year in the last series of the regular season. They're going to have that on the back of their minds. Maryland will as well. So some added adversity for Maryland, as well as having to go on the road to Iowa. And then a midweek game on April 21st down in Harrisonburg, Virginia, against a former or a familiar foe in James Madison. And then April 24th through the 26th, which is 
Actually, my birthday weekend will be against Penn State. The Terps played up in State College last year, and now the Nittany Lions will come to town. And then after that, they'll have a road game at Mount St. Mary's to wrap up the home-and-home. That's on April 28th. And then we start off May, the final month of the season. They will go to Purdue May 1st through the 3rd for a matchup with the Boilermakers, a team they did not face last year. Could see some interesting things there. And then they will have a home game midweek on May the 5th against Towson. That'll be their last midweek home game of the season. And then they'll have their last Big Ten road trip of the year, May 8th through the 10th in Columbus at Ohio State. When the Buckeyes came to College Park last year, they took two out of three. They ended the Terp season last year, essentially, when they handed them their first loss in the Big Ten tournament. And they went on to win the Big Ten tournament as the seventh seed. Ben, the Terps are going to be looking for some revenge against the Buckeyes. Absolutely, and we know now this is a team that can get hot really quickly and depends on where they are at any particular moment in time. It's a team that really struggled with injuries, especially towards the end of last season. But Ohio State is a team with a lot of firepower, and no matter what sport you're playing, if you go into Columbus, Ohio to play the Buckeyes, you're going to run into some adversity as well. So it would be a really good chance right before Maryland gets into that last series against Minnesota, then into the Big Ten tournament perhaps, to see where they are. And then the final midweek game of the year will be on May 12th as the Terps travel to Williamsburg to take on William and Mary. And they will end the season with a Big Ten slate on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the Bob, May 14th, 15th, and 16th against Minnesota, a team that also caused the Terps some problems last year with the Terps unable to take a series out in Minneapolis. They found themselves with their backs to the wall when they were looking to make the Big Ten tournament. They had to steal those wins late in the season. Minnesota sort of pushing the Terps almost over the edge of the cliff last year. And once again, the last series of the regular season here in College Park, those home games going to be so crucial. And the fact that they had that last series against Iowa here last year was a big part of why they were able to get themselves to Omaha. So now we'll go through a little bit of a roster preview as that wraps up the Terps' schedule. If they're lucky to make it, they'll be in Omaha once again for the Big Ten tournament, April or May 20th through the 24th. And if they can win that or get enough wins, they'll be in the NCAA tournament, which will begin shortly after that. Now we're going to just do a light rundown of the Terps roster, seeing what depth they have at every position. And before we go into our full season preview podcast, kind of getting an early look at this Terps team. So the first guy who jumps out to me, Ben, is another Ben. It's Ben Cowles, who was pretty much the starting second baseman by the end of last year. You had A.J. Lee, who took over back at shortstop. But now that Lee's gone, Cowles is going to get that move over to short, and they're really going to need his defense to improve and him to get a bit hotter with the bat. He really grew into his own, especially defensively. He had some time at shortstop. He had some time at second base, and they really found himself at second base. And he's going to be one of the big guys going forward, I think, especially defensively going into 2020. So then on the infield, we know you got Maxwell Costas at third base. Second base, you've got some questions as well. You've got Austin Chavis, who is a newcomer for the Terps, shined some good stuff with the glove in the fall. You've also got Tommy Gardner, who battled some injuries at the end of last year. He's always been good with the glove. If he could better get his bat going, he could be a big spot there as well. And then you have Michael Pinero, who was a Big Ten uh, freshman honorable mention last year and a Big Ten third team honorable mention last year. Pinero could really play some first base for the Terps. You know Justin Vogt's going to be catching. So if Pinero can get his bat hot again, keep some solid defense over at first, he could be an option there, along with some other of the incomers or newcomers, including Michael Michael Boma could be a spot at first. But then you get to the outfield, and you've pretty much got one open spot. You've got Randy Bednar, you know, is going to be your everyday right fielder. And then you've got Chris Aline, who, if he's healthy, is going to be your guy in center field. And then you get to left field, and this is a spot where if Caleb Walls, who struggled at the end of last year, isn't going to win that battle, it's going to be pretty much up to Troy Schreffler Jr., who is a very highly touted freshman from Harris. 
Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at a Central Dolphin High School. He was Perfect Games' number 11 player in all of Pennsylvania, the number four outfielder. It's been his dream to come here to Maryland. I spoke to him in the fall. He's a really nice kid. Rob Vaughn and all the coaches really like his stuff, and he could be pretty much the front runner to win that left field spot. Hey, you mentioned Caleb Walls really did struggle towards the end of last season. He was just one for his last 11 in the regular season. He went his final eight games without a multi-hit game. He really struggled, especially at the plate. I still think it's his spot to lose. He's a senior coming in this year. I think he's going to provide a lot of leadership, especially in a team that has a kind of a dearth of seniors now with A.J. Lee and Taylor Wright leaving. That kind of leadership role is really up for grabs. And I think that Caleb Walls is going to have a chance to go and grab it, but with a really big recruiting class coming in, a lot of talent coming in, pressure is really going to be on the State College native. Absolutely, and, and Schreffler himself as a freshman, transferring off of Walls there, Schreffler has shown some really good stuff in the fall. He got to bat in the leadoff spot for a couple of those fall competition games and fall World Series games. He's a big kid at six foot one and 190 pounds, and you can only imagine he's been bulking up with strength coach Will Franco in the weight room since then. So if he can continue to shine come the spring, he could even be a runner for a Big Ten Freshman of the Year, possibly. I was really impressed with Schreffler from what we saw in the fall World Series. Really classic swing. He likes to throw the knob of the bat right at the baseball. I think he's got really good fundamentals, a lot of stuff that Rob Vaughn can work with. With there. And we know the outfield defense for the Terps struggled last year. It was a big point of emphasis that Vaughn and the other coaches wanted to work on in the offseason. You can only hope they have. You've got a guy who can rely on in Randy Bednar out in right field. You've got Chris Aline, who's made some spectacular plays over his career, who will be manning center field. And then the infield, like I said, some questions at second and first. But then now on the left side, even though you lost Taylor Wright and A.J. Lee, you've got Maxwell Costas and Ben Cowles, who will look to put it there. But then you've got to go on the mound. And then you've got your pitchers. And you got to look at what your starting rotation is going to be. You lost your ace in Hunter Parsons. He was lights out all year. Big Ten second team men or mentioned for him. He probably deserved more than that the way he pitched. Led the Big Ten in wins last year. Now, you know wins aren't the most important statistic. But when you look at a Terps team that struggled to get Big Ten wins last year until later in the season, they could almost guarantee themselves that when Hunter Parsons was going to take the mound, they were going to get a victory out of the game. And that's the exact kind of thing you need from a pitcher who's also a senior and a leader. Now, the Terps don't really seem to have that guy this year, but they do have a couple of options. You've got Zach Thompson, who is pretty much your only regular returning starter this year, who's going to be coming in looking to do the same thing he did last year and hopefully improve upon his game. You've also got Tyler Blom, who's a bit of a question mark. He's been dealing with some injuries, but if he could come back and provide that energy that he did in his senior season that he did when he was Big Ten Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago, he can also be a big point of emphasis. But then you've got Trevor Labonte, who was kind of forced into the Sunday starting role last year. He has put on some height. He looks even taller. looks like he's grown even more. He could add some velocity to his fastball, and if he can gain his control back, he could also be a starting factor for the Terps. And those are just the guys that we've seen play for Maryland before. I think Tyler Blum is kind of the wild card of that group. If he can stay healthy, he has some of the most electric stuff, not only in the starting rotation conversation, but in the entire Maryland pitching staff. I think that if he stays healthy, he's going to find his way into the weekend rotation Going back to Hunter Parsons, though, not only did you know that you had a really good chance to get a win when you were on the mound, when he was on the mound, should I say, but you also knew you weren't going to empty the bullpen on a Friday. And I think that that's a big question for Maryland going forward. When you think about it in kind of the more long-term uh, mindset, the kind of the macro mindset of a college baseball season, 
how do you manage your bullpen? Well, you knew Hunter Parsons was going to give you six or seven innings every single time. Can you say that now about any particular guy on this Maryland pitching staff that you know you're going to go out there, you're going to get a quality start, you're going to stay in the ball game with him on the mound for six or seven innings at least? I'm not sure if anyone's really proved that yet, and that's going to be a big question mark going into Friday nights here in 2020. So you continue to look at the starters, and that Friday night spot seems to be open if Zach Thompson doesn't grab it. And one guy that I'm looking to personally is Sean Burke. Now, he was on the Terps roster last year, but he had a red shirt after recovering from injury. He's now a red shirt freshman. Benny's 6'6", 230 pounds from St. John's High School in Sutton, Massachusetts. Two years ago, he was Perfect Games' number three right-hander and number five player in the state of Massachusetts. In this fall, he came out right away throwing low to mid-90s on his fastball. If he could gain control of that, could you see him, as I do, being that Friday night guy for the Terps? Oh, absolutely. I think the door is wide open for really anybody to take it. I don't think that there is uh, really any heir apparent to that Friday night spot. If you play well enough to earn it, if you pitch well enough to earn it, then you're going to be starting on Friday nights. And I don't know if the person who starts on the first Friday night is going to be starting on the last Friday night Anyway, Rob Vaughn's going to be making a lot of changes, I think, on the fly this year because there is no one clear-cut ace on this Maryland pitching staff. But I think the door is wide open for a freshman anywhere through the entire pitching staff. If you have the stuff, you're going to be able to pitch, especially on Friday and Saturday nights. And I really thought that Sean Burke's fastball was popping in the fall. I really liked his mechanics, the way that the ball came out of his hand and was fooling a lot of different Maryland hitters in the Fall World Series. You're exactly right. And then we have to transition to the bullpen. You mentioned that the Terps are going to want to save their bullpen during those weekend series because last year we saw they didn't have a lot of guys who could take up a lot of innings. Now, one guy who did get a couple of midweek starts and tried to eat those innings when he could was Drew Wilden. He'll now be a redshirt sophomore this season. Last year in 17 innings, had a 5.82 ERA, 12 walks, 16 strikeouts. Now, he looked good this fall, had some really good performances against Michigan and Iowa notably last year and Wilden could pretty much be a big factor out of the pen. I look at the other returners. We mentioned Elliot Zoner already and Sean Fisher and what they could bring as they continue on. Fisher now is junior year, and Zoner, it'll be his senior year. And then another guy is Mark DeLuya. He did really, really well in the Big Ten tournament last year. Overall, last year, 38 innings pitched, a 5-4-5 ERA, 25 walks, 38 strikeouts. We've known for a couple of years now, Ben, that he's got good stuff, but if DeLuya could continue to be a factor, the Terps bullpen could really, really benefit from him. And he was the workhorse, the most innings pitched out of anyone in the Maryland bullpen. The stuff is there, the 38 strikeouts, 245 batter sit against him on the season. The control still a bit of a question mark for Mark DeLuya, but if he can settle that down a little bit. I think he can be the lead guy coming out of the bullpen or perhaps even find his way into the starting rotation should things change a little bit. I have to agree with you there, as I said, and Deluya hoping to have a big season for the Terps. Now, just going to update everyone on a bit of uh, coaching changes that have happened over the years for the Maryland baseball team, and the update is actually that there have been no official coaching changes. Rob Vaughn is still the head coach He'll now be entering his third season. Corey Muscara is the pitching coach, hitting coach, and recruiting coordinator. Still Matt Swope and Anthony Papio will be entering his fourth season as the assistant for the Terps, Swope and Papio, both former Terps players. So that is just about beginning to wrap it up for us here on episode 71 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now, this is our first podcast 
uh, in a long time. We didn't have any in the fall because we wanted all this off-season news to come out, and we hope we recapped it all for you today. We, Ben, I think we stuck to our roadmap a little bit. I think so. We stayed. Couple of digressions. Started at the end of the tournament and then tried to go through all the off-season news as it came in and really put it all into one big podcast for everyone to digest. But we will have two more podcasts coming out before the regular season begins and then one a week during the season to talk about the midweek games, the series that was, and the series coming up. But when you look at the next two podcasts we're going to have, Ben, I'm really excited for these. On February 4th, which is 10 days before the regular season, we're going to have our top 10 moments of 2019. That'll be pretty much our official end, putting a bow on the 2019 season. And we're going to go through our top 10 moments. I've already got a, po- a couple picked out. I hope you do as well. We're going to have a bunch of players on that podcast. Everyone who's involved in the 2019 top plays and top moments of the season is going to come on with us, talk about what it meant to them and how they're looking to improve next year. So again, no player interview on this podcast, no coaches, but for the next one, we will have a bunch of players on telling you about how they're looking to improve from last year to this year. And then a couple of days before first pitch, in Charleston, we are going to have our official season preview podcast. Consider this one more an off-season recap. Season preview, we are going to go really deep into the lineup, deep into the depth chart. Ben and I will go to a couple of practices get as the team gets closer to first pitch, really see what the team is looking like, how they're strategizing, looking closer to that first pitch on February 14th in Charleston. So if you want to get involved, feel free to comment on this podcast come at us on Twitter. Check out our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. Paige Leckie, our managing editor, and all of our writers have been doing a really excellent job with our preseason countdown as we get closer to the regular season. In fact, as you're hearing this, we'll be just 17 days away from first pitch. Yeah, getting really close and really soon and a really exciting time around College Park. I think there's a lot of optimism around this baseball program, more so than there's been in quite a couple of years. And Ben and I and the rest of our Maryland Baseball Network broadcast team are really looking forward to bringing you the call for every single inning, every single pitch of Terps baseball this year. It really should be a lot of fun. And Ben, I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. Absolutely. Can't wait. So that will wrap it up here for Episode 71 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I've been Zach Solon. He is Ben Curtis. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our Top 10 Moments of 2019 podcast, which will be coming your way on February 4th. Thank you, everyone.